Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. An Erio's original each week, we decide who's to blame for a historical tragedy. And each week, you tell us if we got it right. My name is Rebecca Delgado-Smith, and this is The Aftermath. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning into The Aftermath. Today, we'll be talking to Professor James Shapiro about the Astor Place riots. He is a professor of English and comparative literature at Columbia University and author of Shakespeare in a Divided America. Just call me Jim and not Professor Shapiro. <laughs> okay, we'll do. Grades changed, call me Professor Shapiro. <laughs> well, we're hoping to get an A+. Plus. You get an A+, plus automatically. You have a great show. You can't get your grade changed down. Yay! <laughs> okay, no take backs. <laughs> no take backs. I'm from Brooklyn. We we follow that rule religiously. So we're talking about the uh, Astor Place riots. And I was wondering if you could talk to us a little bit about the role of, that Shakespeare played in New York in the early uh, to mid 1800s. Sure. Everybody read Shakespeare in school or in, if you were Abe Lincoln, who didn't go to school and were stuck out on the prairie somewhere living in a log cabin. Everybody knew the famous speeches, knew the same half dozen plays we all kind of know today. In the early 19th century, or really mid-19th century, Shakespeare actors, the really good ones, were the rock stars of their day. And they would go from city to city, from one end of the country to the other, and join 
a group of actors who were local actors, and they would put on a play and they'd make a ton of money. They really were touring rock stars. There was no radio then. There was no television then. There's no real media competition. There was no alarmist then. What a sad life before the alarmist. True that. <laughs> now, what, how would you characterize the difference between uh, British Shakespearean acting and American Shakespearean acting? Well, that kind of got differentiated in in the mid-19th century. In the beginning of the 19th century, late 18th century, Charlotte Cushman was the first great woman American superstar, and she was the greatest Romeo of her day. She was uh, a terrific actor, and uh, Edwin Forrest, the leading male American Shakespeare actor, he pumped weights, he showed a lot of leg whenever he could, aggressive, manly, uh, rather than the more reflective, reticent, sober, older style of masculinity that got associated with England and soon enough with English Shakespeare as opposed to a more aggressive, manly American Shakespeare. He was the uh, Hemsworth of the time. Yeah. I mean, when they found him dead, there were like hand weights at the base of his bed. Wait, and it wasn't what? Just him. Yeah, yeah. He, he pumped iron. I mean, if you're an actor, you got to work out. That was, he was like the first guy who figured that out. Like you can't, you can't be a kind of uh, uh, lightweight, you know, no Jim Bod. How was he different than uh, William McCreary? Yeah, McCreary and, and, and Forrest were at opposite ends. And Forrest wasn't alone. I mean, the, the, the guy who assassinated Abraham Lincoln was another one of these manly uh, uh, American interpreters of Shakespeare. And he sometimes would leave out acts one, two, three, and four, and just cut to the fight scene at the end of Macbeth or Richard III, because that's all he really cared about and all he thought his audience came to see. So we're really dealing with uh, a really aggressive notion of, of Shakespeare's heroes. And Macbeth is a really good example. When, when Forrest played Macbeth, he plays him as a kind of swaggering guy who fights to the death. And in Shakespeare's original, you don't even see Macbeth fighting at the end of the play, but he kind of brought that off stage, on stage. And MacReady played Macbeth, the English actor, the one of the great superstar English actors who's touring in America to make a buck. And uh, he plays Macbeth as a, a tortured, reflective uh, introspective soul. So the styles are radically different. I I've read that the Bowery boys were uh, loyal patrons of the Bowery Theater and other downtown theaters. Was, was there a connection? What was the connection between New York City gangs and downtown theaters? They, like everybody else, loved uh, going to the theater. Theater was cheap. In those days, if you went to the theater in New York, and there were a lot of them, you were uh, you got there early and you sat uh, in the area uh, uh, which we now call the orchestra, and those were the cheap seats. Better seats were uh, on the first level, a little bit more protected, and um, 
you keep going up until the third level where prostitutes would would do their business. So um, theaters were a lot different then than they are now, but they were incredibly popular, popular places. And uh, they were popular in uh, Five Points and other immigrant communities downtown. Sounds like they were more they had more of a club vibe back in the day. Yeah, you know, you had a you you held down some lousy job, and you went to the theater in the evening, and you could pay a quarter to get in and see a play, and scream and shout and stomp your feet. Uh, that was fun. The actor place rights kind of killed off audience participation and violence in the theater. Yeah, let's talk about the Astor Place riots. Um, what, did, what, in your opinion, what did the Astor? Opera House represent to the Bowerites, and what did it represent to the Uppertons? The really, really, really rich people, like the 1%, decided we don't want to go to the theater and share our experience of the theater with uh, poor people. So what we're going to do is we're going to build a really beautiful theater on Astor Place. We're going to name it after Astor, one of the richest ones among us. And we're going to institute something nobody's ever done in New York before. There's going to be a dress code. You've got to wear, like, kit gloves. There's going to be a, uh, a facial hair code, no, no beard or anything like that. No single woman can go by herself to the Astor Place Opera House to watch a play or hear an opera. This is going to be upscale only. And this was really in your face to everybody else in New York. What was it that Shakespeare brought to the picture? Everybody owned or thought they owned Shakespeare. And it's like a tug of war. And when one side decides to take Shakespeare away or to lock you out, that is a call to arms. And that's what happened in that year. So in our research, we came across two figures who were active in the rabble rousing of the masses outside of the opera house. And they were the dime novelist, Ned Buntline, uh, and the Tammany Hall organizer, Isaiah Rinders. And yeah. are, are you familiar with these two? And if so, what can you tell us about them? Yeah, they were, uh, you know, guys who knew how to fight, who knew how to quote Shakespeare. Rinder could kind of cuss and quote Shakespeare in the same breath. He picked up an edition early on and memorized half of Shakespeare's speeches. He knew how to mobilize a crowd. He knew how to pay people to uh, act violently. He knew how to hire a lot of uh, young Irish kids who had nothing better to do. They understood how to light a match and start a fire. So, so we can put them on the board. Oh, they're definitely up on the board. So if you had to, if you really had to place blame on someone or something for the Astor Place riots, what would it be? You know, it's a, that's a great question. And uh, it depends on how far back you want to go. And that is a, a really crucial question. In other words, if you're just looking at what was going on in the immediate years when that was taking place, you would probably point your finger at different individuals. But I kind of like to go back to 1846, three years earlier, and go to the Edinburgh Theater 
in uh, in Edinburgh, Scotland. Creedy was playing Hamlet there, and his until now kind of friend, but soon turned arch enemy, uh, Forrest, showed up at this production. And there's a moment in Hamlet that we don't really think a lot about, and it's the moment where Hamlet's going to show the play within a play, expose the guilt of his uncle Claudius to everybody, and confirm that his uncle had killed his father. And right before this scene, Hamlet turns to his friend Horatio and says, I must be idle. And it's one of those weird lines that's interpreted a couple of different ways. Some people think at the time, I thought at the time, I kind of must look listless and kind of slump in my chair. But other actors, including McCready, thought that it meant, oh, I have to act kind of silly. And what he did was, and I'm not exaggerating here, he skipped back and forth across the stage five or six times, switching his handkerchief over his shoulder in what we would really say is a kind of fey or effeminate way. Now, this was not a big deal except an enormous hiss from the audience. And it is so loud and so disruptive that what he called this fancy dance of skipping back and forth came to a halt. McCready was completely unmanned, had to sit down on stage, and the production ground to a complete halt. Forrest did not like an effeminate McCready's version of Hamlet and let him know it. It's so personal, so unnecessarily personal. Yeah, I mean, it really, really floored McCready and other actors. Everybody was writing about it. It's like, oh, my God, who did that? And then everybody sees it's Forrest, and he slinks out of the theater. From that moment on, it was war. Well, okay, so finally, I want to ask you how the Astor Place riots changed America's relationship with Shakespeare. Well, for one thing, um, we decided kind of collectively after that that it would be a bad idea to kill each other over Shakespeare. (laughs) So we would find other things to kill each other over, like should we free the slaves, you know, those kinds of issues. We still want to kill each other, but we decided not to kill each other over Shakespeare. And I think um, we've held to that pretty well. It's my understanding that Shakespeare then became, that's when there was a shift and Shakespeare became more of an uh, uh, highbrow. Some people think that, um, I, I think what happened was other forms of entertainment began competing with Shakespeare. We talked mm-hmm. earlier about it was like nothing else. But once baseball is invented and sports becomes really big and musical culture becomes, you know, Broadway, all those things that are competing with Shakespeare that didn't quite overtake him in the mid-19th century pretty soon did so that uh, Americans had more of a choice as to what they would spend their money on when they needed entertainment. And Shakespeare became uh, less central as a kind of common cultural currency. In all fairness, he, he almost had about 200-year reign. 
wouldn't you say? Good run. Yeah. Good run. Well, Jim, thank you so much for talking to us about Shakespeare and the New York City Astor Riots. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. It's been fun. It's been fun. Stay well and safe. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. What a guy that Jim is. Huh? What a guy. I I know. He was cool. Imagine having him as a professor. I would have loved to go to school every single day. But you start to wonder because do you think he really treats his students the same way he treats his <laughs> colleagues? Like I would think he would—he he was sort of talking to us like we were colleagues. Uh, I just don't think the students are going to get the same treatment that wow. we, us sort of studious colleagues get. It did feel like he was a listener. It felt like he was a big fan. I think he did his research when he heard he was going to be appearing on the podcast he he seems to have listened to a few episodes so I hope he continues to listen because I'm sure if he's an expert on this he's probably an expert on a few other things I'd love to have him back oh my goodness yeah and it felt like he teaches uh his style of teaching is similar to what I think we all enjoy which is gossip I love anyone who teaches anything like gossip. That's totally. the only way we should learn. Yeah, he totally lit up when he started talking about how uh, forest, the forest hissing scandal. Oh, my God. Like well, that, he got... It was actually kind of... Um, 
you know, the way he was talking about the actors, the Shakespearean actors at the time was kind of pulpy. Yeah. Totally. I, I would have loved to have lived in that. Just go back for like a little while, you know, time travel and get a sense of like, how the theater was in the nineteen in nineteen forty nine. It sounded like it was a, a a very vibrant and riveting place. Yeah, or you could pick up a prostitute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can find me on the on the fourth level. Yeah, I, actually, I think maybe that's what I would do. I'd go back in time and be like a Shakespearean prostitute at the theater. Oh, okay. You could just be a normal person at the theater. No, no, no. I want to be like selling oranges, but then also I'm a prostitute. <laughs> like if you buy six oranges, you get a hand job. But it's a necessary. You could just be a person. And six oranges is a lot, Amanda. <laughs> I gotta make a, Who needs six oranges? I gotta make a living. I mean, the hand job can't be that good. <laughs> it's not. Trust me, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> Dios mío. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, you know, you'll we'll both go at the same time, and we'll just say our goodbyes <laughs> at the entrance. <laughs> I'm going down to the orchestra, the first tier. I want to see what the fancy fancy tins. You're an upper tin. Uh, the upper tins. Uh, what what that's all about. Now, I, I have to say, after hearing him tell the hissing story, it made me think we missed an opportunity of putting something on the board. What is that? McCready's Fancy Dance. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, it, well, what it really felt like was more like Forrest, Ned Forrest, not liking the... A fancy dance. Because, there felt. I, did you get like a, a bit of a like a gay homophobia? Homophobia thing. thing? Yeah, absolutely. It, yeah. That's what it felt like to me, and especially if he was the kind of a- actor who would pump iron, iron. You know, <laughs> like alpha. <laughs> <laughs> and he died with with like his weights nearby. I mean. That's that to me feels like someone who's overcompensating. That's what I thought. I was pretty sure Forrest was overcompensating, especially given like he would cut out all the middle parts of the of the Shakespeare plays and just go to the fighting. It's like he oh, he just wanted to cut to all the fighting. It just seems like he had something to make Proof. sure nobody found yeah. out about. Oh, wow. He was like the the current like it felt like he wanted to turn Shakespeare into an action drama. Has there like, been a uh, movie about this? Because the whole time he was talking, I was like, gosh, I want to watch this as maybe a Netflix eight-part series. I think that's our next pitch, Amanda. Netflix executives, if you're listening, we're going to pitch you <laughs> the Astor Plays Riots uh, limited series. Yeah, it's yeah, got to be a limited run. Yeah, we can't shoot it until 2022, but... <laughs> Come on, Chris. <laughs> Cheer up. Um, so <laughs> I don't think it changes the verdict. Uh, but and, and I was glad that he we had his support when it comes to uh, Buntline and Rinders. It felt like he was encouraging us to um, maybe give them some blame that they, they got out of. Because mm-hmm. Buntline did go to jail, so... You know, after the riot, he went to jail for it. So he got arrested and he got out of it. So it feels like that's what uh, 
Jim really wanted us to, I don't know, fix history in that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I feel good. I feel like we gave the big slap to the dress code, and I feel good about that. Um, and I thought he was a great expert. He was so awesome. Totally. I thought, you know what I thought was lame was McCready when Forrest was hissing at him for his fancy dance. Okay. That McCready stopped the play. I thought that was super lame. Like, just because someone's hissing, like, it, it totally, you give them all the power if you're the one who, who is totally affected by it. So I thought that McCready in that moment showed weakness, whereas if he had persevered through the hissing mm. he could have that the whole thing could have been squashed maybe that's why he continued on with Macbeth during the riots and didn't stop because he he wanted to really show him he felt bad like he felt like he should have kept going in that one moment it, back yeah. in the day and he was making up for it yeah maybe. so Chris if you were McCready and you got hissed you would have doubled down on your fancy dance it. Well, one time we were at uh, Caroline's on Broadway in our our Harvard sailing team sketch comedy group, and there was a kid talking through the whole show. And so I stopped and I go, could you please shut up or leave or something like that? Remember, <laughs> like, like, it's basically like, what do you do with a heckler? And I wasn't very good at it. Like, you've seen videos online of like good comics and how they handle hecklers. Like, I did not like win. It wasn't like convincing, but he did shut up. But I just like yelled at him, would you please stop talking? I totally don't remember that. I must have blacked out. <laughs> yeah, it was, anyway, it was, uh, I don't know what I would have done, I, but I would have, maybe you got to address it in some way and not just give up. I don't know. Yeah, I probably would have doubled down on my dance. Yeah. I, maybe I would have started twirling or something. I feel like you would have done that too, Amanda. Yeah, I would have just started flying around the theater. <laughs> Maybe giving him a lap dance? <laughs> no, a hand job. Six oranges and a hand job. That's right. Six Amanda, oranges, it's please. unnecessary. Well, I have to make a living. I have all these kids to support. It's, it's you have time kids travel. In You're this coming back. As well? What is your. Ooh, there's a cat in our backyard. There it goes. There it goes. Okay, so uh, why don't we talk? Uh, we have to discuss something about the Jesus Christ um, episode. So, do we get where people heated? People were pretty uh, heated in in a way that um, not not maybe what we thought. How they weren't like scandalized that we actually did that episode. They were more like invested. Uh, so that was nice. Um, and we got an email from a listener who is very passionate, not only about our podcast but specifically about this uh, topic. And he wrote to us, and here are a few, it was a very long email, so thank you, Moses, for taking the time to write to us. And here's some excerpts from the email. So he says, uh, first, uh, so he has a background in uh, religious studies uh, and a minor in history, so he, he, you know, has a, a lot to say about this. We have... To remember, okay, this is what Moses says. We have to remember that people in the first century did not view history as a cont- as us contemporary folk. To them, history wasn't writing books about what happened or why and hypothesis- hypothesizing why it's important. To them, history was telling stories. History was passed down orally because only about 1% to 5% of the population was literate. If something big happened, it got passed down from generation to generation by word of mouth. Some things in the Bible happened, others didn't. 
You all discuss Judas and Satan. Of course, the tradition is that Judas betrayed him and maybe Satan was the cause. I have a different take. The biblical Satan isn't the same as the Satan we think of today. That Satan is a product of John Milton's uh, Paradise Lost and Dante uh, the Inferno. The biblical Satan is just a divine being who works for God, going around testing righteous people. After all, if Jesus can't pass Satan's test, then he can't be the Messiah, right? So I don't blame Satan. I also don't necessarily buy into the fact that Satan caused Judas to do what Judas did. My argument is that Judas was the disciple Jesus could rely on and cho- and chose him. After all, would you rat your mentor knowing they would be put to death? And Judas felt so guilty he committed suicide. To me, this is not the act of someone who is so cold that they'll send their mentor to death. Instead, I think Judas loved Jesus so much that 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 the only thing he could do Uh, that he was the only one who could be relied on to carry out such a task. After all, Peter was like, uh, quote, nah, I don't know this dude. My name is Bennett and I'm not into it. That's that's more Moses' take on Peter. (laughs) Um, Okay, so Peter doesn't want to be associated with Jesus, so, so why would he go to the high priest saying what he did? If you ask me, Judas is the most important figure in the New Testament behind Jesus Christ, so I don't blame uh, Judas. Uh, that I, I thought that was interesting. And ultimately, what Moses says is that he blames the empire of the, Ro- the Roman Empire. Asking who's responsible uh, is a question that seeks black and white answer, but the answer is not black and white. It's complex. This is what the empire does. It pits class versus class, race versus race, gender versus gender. Empire does whatever it takes to keep control. Pilate was already on thin ice with Rome, so one or two more uprisings and he would he would have been thrown. Mm-hmm. It is the, it is true that only Pilate could carry out a death sentence, but if he didn't do it, then he would certainly have been put to mm. death. I thought that was an interesting point. Yeah. Um, so did Moses part the verdict from the jail? Uh <laughs> Well, that was a stretch. Huh? <laughs> you were so close; kind of, you didn't quite get there. I'm, I was close, but so far yeah, away. <laughs> so so far away. Um, Moses. Okay, so he's saying that the empire is more to blame than Pilate because Pilate wouldn't have done it if he if he actually had free will. So he was kind of tethered to whatever the empire wanted him to do. And apparently he was on thin ice. So if he didn't do it, which a year later, he he did get called back to Rome because uh, of another uprising. Um, he would have lost his job, essentially. Yeah, it's just the the empire is so big and so vague. And what is what does the empire consist of and why does it function this way? Because there's men trying desperately to hold on to power and Pilate was one of those men. So, yeah, I don't know. To me, I, I, I liked a lot of the points that Moses made, specifically his perspective on Judas, which was a really interesting take that almost like Judas had this important part to play and only he could be trusted with it. But it doesn't change my verdict. I I think I still stand by what we said. Yeah, it's like I, I think that Pilate, if 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 there were less people like Pilate who wanted the approval of the empire and who were hungry to you know hungry to rise up in class and and rank, 
Um, maybe the sort of we would have had a more peaceful time. The empire was. Uh, these were very uh, violent times. It wasn't like uh, he. Uh, I don't know. It's to me, I I still think the blame sits with Pilate because he could have just said, you know, there's no uh, there's no evidence here. We're not seeing a lot. Uh, I I just don't I don't want to deal with this guy. Let's get let's get him out of here. Yeah, ultimately, I think uh, Moses put together a decent argument. But at the end of the day, it just wasn't convincing. If he had come down from a hill and had it in the form of two tablets and Ten Commandments, <laughs> maybe I would have listened. But unfortunately, I wasn't that impressed. <laughs> so no. I'm curious, a lot better on that one, Chris. <laughs> yeah, I really had to yeah. redeem myself, so I had to go back. You weren't in listening it. to anything we just said. You were in your no, mind. He was cool. That's why he was uh, so quiet for con- like five minutes. I was just concocting that <laughs> that weird half joke. Um, so, did anyone chime in? Because I know the last time we were kind of thinking, should we have given God the big slap? Did did you get any numbers back on that? I did, and it was surprisingly a little too close to call. So according on Twitter, it was almost, a f- it was exactly 50-50. Wow. They didn't oh think goodness. that Judas should get the slap. Uh, uh, you know, 50% thought Judas shouldn't get the slap and uh, the other 50% thought he should keep the slap. So that was uh, mind-blowing. And then on Instagram... It was another close one. It was another close one. Forty-five thought forty-five percent thought he uh, shouldn't get the slap, and fifty-five percent thought he should. So I think the what we came up with last week, which was the slap backhand, slap backhand mm-hmm. with God, yeah, uh, slash Jesus. I thought that was a. Uh, 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 maybe a good solution to the to the problem of the slap because I don't think that God or Jesus himself should really go to the alarmist jail for this one um, and someone made a good point one of our listeners made a good point uh, I think it was in on Facebook and they said that if God or Jesus goes to the alarmist jail before Hitler he's not going to be able to sleep at mm. night and I and I understood <laughs> made a lot of sense to me (laughs) and i I also think that if we're gonna send god to jail for this we could honestly send god to jail for every single disaster that we ever talk about exactly someone else pointed that out so we just gave him a little tiny slap a tiny tiny slap and really it was jesus not god Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so yeah uh we We hope that you're enjoying our uh, episodes. And uh, Amanda, why don't you give us the news? Well, we are almost at one million downloads. Oh, my God. We're millionaire. uh, A millionaire. So we're going to be doing something special. Once we hit one million, we're, let's say, about, well, we're about like 60,000 downloads away from a million um, so if we can get to a million, you guys are going to get a bonus episode, a very special bonus episode that you're not going to want to miss. So tell your friends about the podcast, get them to listen, get them to download and subscribe, rate and review, and we're going to throw you a really cool bonus episode. 
Yeah, and if your friends don't want to listen, do what uh, one of our neighbors does when they they go for a walk. This woman goes for a walk and she just plays podcasts, uh, no headphones, just plays it loudly <laughs> and walks around the block. That's right. And if you get a hold of anyone's phone, a brother, a sister, a mother, a grandmother, you just go on Apple Podcasts and play hit play on our uh, podcast. So mm-hmm. uh, infiltrate other people's phones. That's right. And privacy. Uh, but seriously, uh, r- don't forget to rate, review, subscribe. It really helps get the numbers up, and it helps us get up on those uh, Apple charts. So we don't know why, but it does. Here's a nice review that we got recently. This is from Las Vegas Danny, and he says, I'm grateful to have found this uh, show. There are a few podcasts that are its equal, maybe the big one. I think maybe he's referring to the big ones, but he said the yeah. big one. Okay. Now, he says, from Rebecca's opening to her sign-off, she most definitely uh, moves deftly through the topic at hand, no matter the guest or subject, she acquits herself expertly. I love the way Chris and Amanda have added so much pleasure to the program during quarantine. Please keep this program going. It warms our hearts and our homes. Proud to be in the alarmy. So if you want to keep this program go- going, be like Las Vegas Danny and leave us a review. And you can reach out to us. And the best way to do that is through leaving us a voicemail at um, 844-370-8643. Or you can record a voice memo on your phone and email it to us at thealarmistpodcast at gmail.com. And follow us on Instagram at The Alarmist Podcast and Twitter at Alarmist The. Erios. Powered by ACAST. 